when Moses confronts Aaron about it, and, and Aaron says, well, they gave me all their jewelry, I threw it in the fire, and this is what came out. What? That is lame. All right? It was fashioned by his hand. They fa- fashioned in their hand. See, that's what idols, idols do. Idols are, are, are objects in which we worship that have been fashioned by our own hands. They're, they're objects that we trust in, objects that we look to lead and guide, objects that we put our trust or our hope or our, our, our satisfaction in that we shape and we have a way of putting our own hands on it. And, and it's, not, it's not God's hands. And that, what, where did they see that? Where did they see a golden calf? Where did, they, where did that come from? That was Egypt. These are the things they saw in Egypt. In fact, one of the plagues was against the livestock. Why? Because every plague was against one of the gods of Egypt. So here they were, they're in Egypt, and they're reverting back to what they know. They're reverting back to what they're comfortable with. And I've got to tell you that when it comes to times of faith, when it comes to times of where God is wanting us to obtain victory in our lives, oftentimes we find ourselves, if we don't see God moving according to our time frame, or as quick as we want, or we don't feel His presence the way we think we ought to feel it, or the way we did when it first came out, there is some Something inside of us in our sin nature that gravitates in impatience back to doing the things that we knew how to do before. Going back to the things we knew before. Returning back to former ways of handling things, former ways of doing things, former ways of worship. And that happens because of, of this impatience. And I think that oftentimes we mistake God's inactivity for absence, for God's absence. God's inactivity is not God's absence. Don't mistake his inactivity for absence. That's what led them to idol worship. They equated the fact that that Moses' absence was the absence of God. And I want to encourage you today, whatever situation you're in, that if you don't see God moving, God is still moving. I want to encourage you that God has not left you, that God is still faithful. He is faithful to his promise. He is faithful to his purpose. Don't mistake God's inactivity for his absence. Be patient. Wait on his instructions and leading. And resist the urge to return to former things. Paul said this in Ephesians 4, through 24. In the New Testament, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Do you see this in, in the people? The deceitful desires? And to be made new, what? In the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Putting it on. Now, listen. The, the, the rescue, everything that God did to deliver them, the salvation that he brought them, that was God's work. That was what God did. But there are steps that you and I need to take. There are steps that you and I need to take. And the steps that we take in cooperation with the work that God is already doing is about this putting on, putting on. What do we have to adjust? The attitude of your mind. You've got to get rid of some of the former ways in which you were thinking. There are some stinking thinking going on. There are some former ways, former things that we think. And that pattern of thinking when there's a time of impatience is going to move you and draw you back if you're not careful. But the Bible says don't do that. It says that we need to put on the new self. Put on the new self. Put on the new self. Don't let impatience drive you to return to a former way of living. Here's a second obstacle this morning that I want to point out. Complaining. Grumbling. Oh boy, here we go, right? 
We're going to fast forward a little bit to Numbers chapter 10, right? Because here they are at the base, and what happens is Moses comes down, God gives him a second chance, Moses ends up breaking the Ten Commandments, he's angry, you know, and, and, and there's judgment that comes on the people. There are some people that never got off the mountain. There are some people that never got off the mountain because of, because of their, their attitude. Friends, God wants you to get off the mountain. <laughs> he wants to march you to the promised land. He wants to march you to victory, but, but, but you can't return to the former ways. There were some that never made it off, but there are others that did because of God's grace and mercy and his commitment to his promise. And, and, and so we see in Numbers chapter 10, if we, if we flip a, a little bit, we see a little more history. The cloud lifts from the tabernacle and the Lord leads his people towards the promised land and they settle in what's called the desert of Paran. And, and this was a staging area, the staging area in which they would begin to send spies into the land that God promised, the land of Canaan, to scope it out, to see what was there. How many of you know preparation precedes blessing? And that's what they're doing. They're just simply taking a look, not, not by their own strength, but they're just taking a look at what lies before them and what's there. I'm going to tell you that the promised land, there's going to be battles to obtaining the promised land. Right? So here they go. This is the staging area. They're right here. God has brought them to this point. God has, has, has brought them to this place. He's ready for them to go in and to take the promised land. And so Numbers 11.1, 1, the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Woo! What would happen if God did that every time we complained? Uh Uh-oh, right? (laughs) Some didn't receive it because of complaining. And that might seem kind of harsh, but if we dig a little bit, we can see the heart uh, of what's behind the complaining. What is behind this complaining? Is their complaining fair? What's behind it? What's really behind their complaining is dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction with the provision of the Lord and ingratitude. Ingratitude. Numbers 11, 4 through 6, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. I love the way the NIV puts it. It says, began to crave other food here. They began to crave other food. And what kind of food was that? The food of Egypt. What was the food they were complaining about? The manna. What was the manna? The miracle bread from heaven, right? That God himself provided every day. In other words, they said, God, we don't like what you're providing. We prefer it back in Egypt. This is what it's really about. What we really see, what we really see happening here is a battle between between our, our finding our, our satisfaction in God and what he provides or finding our satisfaction in our former way of living and the former gods that we served, the former nation that we served. If you remember correctly, Pharaoh was, was, hailed himself as a god. That, that, was, that was part of the battle. Pharaoh, Pharaoh was, he was God. He was, he was in control. And as slaves, they lived under that. Egypt is the one that always provided everything they ever needed. Egypt was the one. God was trying to show them, I'm going to be your provider. That was part of the covenant. You will be my people. And what happened is they got dissatisfied in God's provision and what God was doing and what God was providing. And they began to crave the food of the world. They began to crave the food of Egypt. 
And they began to become ungrateful for what God had provided. Do you want to know how to stay stuck in the wilderness? I'm going to tell you how to stay stuck in the wilderness. You stay stuck in the wilderness when you stop being grateful for the things that God provides. When God provides and God is meeting and God is providing and you say, that's not enough. You know what? That was better. I need that. To really be happy, I need to be doing that. I mean, everybody around me seems to be having all the fun, and they seem to be enjoying this, and they seem to be enjoying that, and they seem to be, they, they like this, and they like, and look at this serving God thing. It'll keep you from maintaining the real promises that, that, that God wants to bring. You know what? When they sent the spies into the land, you know what they found? When they came out, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know what they, you know what they found? <laughs> They, they, they found that there was, there was great fruit, that it was a land filled with milk and honey. So in the wilderness, God's providing for them, and he's providing for them along the way, but he's about to give them something better. He's about to give them something better. We heard today the word of the Lord that came, and you can, if, if you're new and that was kind of strange to you in a service for somebody to, to speak out, that's, that's the prophetic word of the Lord. We believe in prophecy and the gift of prophecy, and you can, you can talk to me more about it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But in that word from the Lord, it said that the Lord is coming soon. How many know that, that we're waiting because God has something better prepared? This, word, this, this earth is not our home, right? We're here temporarily. We're here to, to show off God's glory and to learn how to live in relationship with God and relationship with each other and, and, and how to help others obtain those promises. But how many of you know there is something better that is coming? And God is providing here. Don't get dissatisfied with what God is providing here. We have a tendency to look at the past with rose-colored glasses. We have a tendency to look. They were looking at Egypt with rose-colored glasses. Let me remind you of what it was like in Egypt. Exodus 1, 13 and 14. They, the Egyptians, ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Don't forget what it was like before you came to Christ. Don't forget the bitterness that life was bringing you. Don't forget the bitterness of sin. Don't forget the bitterness and say, oh, but that was better. Oh, that brought joy. That didn't bring joy. That brought pain. But you've been removed from it. That now you look back with rose-colored glasses and you think that was better. That's not any better, friends. God's got something better. But when we are dissatisfied and we are not grateful for what God provides for us, then we are in danger of remaining stuck and never obtaining the victory and the promises that God wants to bring. Don't look back. It is not better. It is not better. Oftentimes we remember the captivity and we glorify it. We forget the pain, the loss, the suffering, the oppression, the heartache. They forgot that, that once they cried out for the Lord to deliver them. And now instead of being satisfied with the manna, with the bread, they choose other things. You know what Jesus said in the New Testament? I am the bread of life. Are you dissatisfied? Are you really dissatisfied with Jesus? That's oftentimes where our complaining comes in. Jesus, the bread of life, will never take hold of the promises of God if we don't learn to find our greatest satisfaction in Christ. Thirdly is fear. I want to continue the story. We're moved from Numbers chapter 10, 11 now to Numbers chapter 13. They're still in that staging area. 
And God tells Moses, send out the spies, one from each tribe, into the land. Moses has them select a representative. He sends them into the land of Canaan, and they return with this report. Numbers 13, 27 to 29, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Here's what happened. God, it's everything you said it would be. (laughs) Everything you said it would be but one thing, one problem. It's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. The fruit's amazing. Look, we even brought some samples back. This is an absolutely wonderful land, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. God, you didn't tell us it was already occupied. You didn't tell us it was occupied. Wait a minute. We thought you were bringing us here. We were going to send the spies in. We'd see all this great stuff. Maybe we'd see a few weak people here and there. We could just move right in. We, we want to move in ready, promised land, right? We want to move. We want it to be move in ready. There's some of you looking for a home. You want to move in ready. Man, I want to move in ready. Let me tell you something. The promised land was not a move in ready. God was going to display his power. <laughs> And his ability to be able to allow them to take hold of that land. But they looked and they go, oh man, there's a problem. Here's the problem. The people there are big and powerful. And one of the representatives, Caleb, he was a man of faith. And he doesn't deny the report, but he makes a faith declaration. This is what he said, Numbers 13, 30. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up there and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it, Right? We can certainly do it. And the other men, with the exception of Joshua, do not agree. And their fear comes out. And fear will hold you back. Fear will keep you back from obtaining the promises and the victory that God wants to give you. It says this, but the men who had gone up to him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. They are spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we, we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw, they're of great size. The Nephilim are there, the descendants of Anak, those are giants. We, look at this, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Can you, can you, can you hear the fear? Can you hear the fear? There's fear in their words. We, we can't do it. It's impossible. We'll be devoured. And it's that fear that helps, that, that keeps us from remembering the covenant promise of God, that keeps us remembering the testimonies of what God has done, the, the power that they saw. This is what they're forgetting. They're looking at the size of the people, and they're forgetting about the size of their God. This hasn't been 40 years of wandering in the wilderness at this point. This, this has only been a couple of months. A couple of months separated from what? A time they were in slavery in Egypt. And over and over and over again, they saw God display his power against a nation that was much mightier than them. And to bring them out and to set them free. How many of you know God has the power to do it? God is powerful. That's the God we talked about the first week in creation. God is powerful. But here's the problem. They got their eyes fixed on their own abilities, their own size, what they could do, and they forgot about what their God could do. And more than just the power of their God, they have forgotten what they have seen over and over again, and that is their God is a God who keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. And so he has led them here, and he has said, listen, this promise is for you. I want you to obtain the victory. This is, this is what I'm giving to you. And they say, mm, we don't trust you. We don't think you can. We don't think you can. You can't do it. 
Our God is too small. There are some of you today, I'm going to be honest with you, in situations where you're in, God is too small. Your God is too small. You, you are not remembering the power of your God. And it is keeping you bound. It is keeping you bound. That fear is keeping you bound. What you keep seeing in the natural, you need to get on your knees and you need to begin to worship and you need to begin to pray and you need to begin to resource yourself in the word of God and letting the word of God begin to increase your faith so that you can see how big your God is. Because I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing, there is nothing too difficult for God. There is nothing impossible for God. We see it over and over and over and over again. If you look at your, through your own eyes, you're only going to see obstacles. It's going to be impossible. All you see is fear mounting and you want to retreat. Fear is what held the Israelites back. And many of them, all of them, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, never got to obtain the promised land because of fear. Fear and dissatisfaction with God. And all they wanted to keep doing is, we want to go back to Egypt. Did you bring us out here to die? Why did you bring us out here? Questioning the goodness of God. Questioning the purpose of God. Questioning whether God had the ability to keep his promises. And as long as you keep questioning, you will stay in the wilderness. At some point, you've got to be willing to take a step of faith. At some point, you've got to be willing to just hang in there and trust God and see what he wants to bring in your life. Amen. Number four, here's, here's another thing that held them back. All right, and this might be a little controversial because of just the way we are here in America. I'm just going to be honest with you. There was a division in leadership. Numbers 14, 1 through 4, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Not only, see, they didn't trust God, and because they didn't trust God, they didn't trust the leadership that God had put in front of them. They wouldn't trust the leadership that God had put in front of them. They wouldn't trust the leadership that God had put, those that God had put in authority. They're grumbling against leadership and the mass their fear with a perceived concern for their children's safety. Oh, I'm concerned about the future of my children. I'm confer I'm, I, it would have been better for us there. We need to choose new leaders because if we go in there, I mean, this is going to be bad. This is even going to be bad for our kids. And this fear, they, when they transfer over to their kids. But let me tell you something. What happened is they ended up wandering 40 more years in the wilderness, and that's what their children had. Their children got to wander around 40 more years in the wilderness and watch the rebellion of their parents and never obtain the promises of God that they could have. Why? Because they didn't trust in God, and they didn't trust in the leadership that God had placed in front of them. And I'm going to tell you something. That's what fear does. Fear causes division. And when there is division, when there is not unity, when there is division and an inability to be able to follow who God has put in leadership to help lead, when there is a division, it will keep you stuck. It'll keep you stuck. And I can bring it about in a, in a number of different ways. I can tell you that right now, our nation is stuck. And I'm not having a political conversation. This isn't about Republican or Democrat or, or whoever. But I'm going to tell you something. Our inability, 
our inability to be able to trust leadership is getting nothing done. It's creating a lot of infighting, and it's going to lead to the downfall of this nation. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. That's not my job. But I can tell you who to pray for. If we spent less time debating and more time praying, we might actually see something change. Because until something changes, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. We've got to pray. We've got to pray for our leadership. There's division and leadership. They were stuck. They were stuck because of their fear, and their fear caused a division in leadership. Fifthly the, is this, moving in our own strength. You see, what follows that fear and rebellion and division and leadership, God had had, had, had it with the grumbling and complaining and the lack of faith. He just had it. He said to Moses, you know what? I'm just going to kill them all. I'm going to start over with you. And God said, you can't. And Moses said, you can't do that. You made a covenant with us. Remember, you made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac. Remember, you made a covenant with us. And, and, and he, he pleads with God and intercedes with God based on his covenant. Why? Because that's who God is. God is a promise keeper. And that's what we do in prayer. We begin to say, but God, this is what your word said. God, this is what your word said. God, this is what your words you begin to plead in the covenant promises of God why because the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus so you begin to pray into the promises of God that's where some of you are at right now you need to begin to pray into the promises of God you need to begin to pray into the promises of God. And that's what Moses does. He intercedes for the people, and he intercedes based on those promises. And it says, the Lord replied, I've forgiven them <laughs> as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of them who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on an oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will see it. See, God's, God, God has promised, God has, God has forgiven them, but they're not going to obtain his promise. The next generation, along with Caleb and Joshua, will have that opportunity. Why? Because of the grumbling and complaining and lack of faith and division, because of their fear, because all of this held them back. So what do they decide to do? How do they decide? Well, Numbers 14, 39 says they mourn bitterly. But you know what? The mourning doesn't change their hearts. <laughs> Because in the next morning, you know what they decide to do? You know what? We're ready now. We're ready now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're ready now. God says, no, no, you're not ready. I know you're not ready. You're saying that. You've mourned. You're telling me you're sorry, but your heart hasn't changed. There are some of you in parenting, you know what I'm talking about. Your kids, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you know they're really not sorry. They're just sorry they got caught because they didn't get what they wanted, Right? That's, that's in parenting. God's our father. He's parent, right? And he says, no, you're, you're not ready. I know you're not ready. And, 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 and there's more that has to be done. But in Numbers 14, 40 to 41, early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country saying, now we're ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. This will not succeed. See, they, they battled, they wept, they, they mourned, and now we're ready. And, and, and they didn't show they were ready. How? Because they were going to say, you know what, we're just going to do our own thing. We're going to go now. We're going to go now. But here's what they're missing. They're missing the presence of the Lord, and they're disobeying God. And so they move out in their own strength. They move out in their disobedience. In verse 42, uh, it says, do, he says, do not go up because the Lord's not with you. You will be defeated by their enemies. And you know what happened? They were. What does Moses say? The Lord's not with you. You know what Moses valued more than anything else? The, promise, the, the presence of God. 
Moses recognized where the victory was going to come. It was going to come when the presence of God was with his people. It was going to come if they had God with them and his presence with them. That God's power, God's presence were the only thing that was going to give them, the, that was going to allow them to be able to obtain the victory and obtain the promises. Exodus 33, God said to, to the, or Moses said to the Lord, Lord, if you will not go up with us, if you, you haven't told us who's going to go, if you don't go up with us, we're not moving from this place. We're not moving without your presence. We're not moving without you. We're not moving without you. But that's not the mindset the people had. In fact, Numbers 14, 44, nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up towards the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant, that's the presence of the Lord, moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down, attacked them, and beat them down all the way to Hormah. It says in their presumption they went up. Don't presume upon the Lord. They moved in their own strength, they moved in their own wisdom, and they ended up defeated. And if we move in our own strength, in our own wisdom, and we rebel against the Lord, we don't have his presence with us, we will not be victorious. Don't move in your presumption. Don't move ahead of God. Don't get ahead of God. Be patient and be obedient. Let's fast forward 40 years. I got I to land the plane. Let's fast forward 40 years. That generation has all died, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. Even Moses himself as a leader has died. He went up, he oversaw, but he never got to enter the promised land. Here they are, fast forward. That generation all died without obtaining the promises, but God had made a covenant. That covenant now would be transferred, and the next generation would be standing at the same place. Well, a little bit, not the desert of Prom, but they'd be standing on the edge of being able to obtain the promised land. They're on the other side, they're on the edge, and here they are approaching it again. And in Joshua chapter 1, it says Moses had died, and God transfers that leadership mantle to Joshua, and he tells him, be strong and courageous and follow my instructions. And Joshua, Joshua tells the people, there they are, they're there. He said, listen, we're to be strong and courageous. We're to follow the instruction of the Lord. This is what God has told me. This is our time. And look at the difference in this next generation, Joshua 1.16. All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you will send us, we will go. You know what this generation did? They learned how to trust in God's leading. They need, learned how to trust in God's leading. They learned how to trust the leader that God was speaking to. They learned how to trust. They said, whatever you do, wherever you tell, we're going to go. We're going to do it. They were unified. Three marks of obtaining the promises of God. Number one is this, follow the ark. Follow the ark. You know what that has to do with the presence of the Lord. <laughs> in Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites again, still the wilderness side of the Jordan. God tells Joshua, it's time to cross over and obtain his promises. It's time to cross over. And this is what we see, Joshua chapter 3, 2 to 3, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. What, what, what we say the ark of the covenant represents what? The presence of God. Wherever the presence of God goes, you follow it. Listen, don't make your plans and say, God, follow me and bless my plans. That's what we do. God bless my plans. No, this is about praying into the plans of God and following his leading. God, where are you going? I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. God, where are you leading? Wherever the ark goes, follow it. Exodus 33, 15, Moses said to the Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. See, the battle, the only way we're going to win the battle is if we follow the presence of the Lord, not in our own strength. Why? Because the battle is not against flesh and blood, friends. It's a spiritual battle. And if it's a spiritual battle, then you need to follow the Lord. You need to follow his direction. You need to follow his leading. You need to follow where his presence is leading you. 
In the New Testament, we have what's called the Holy Spirit living inside of us, right? That's the presence of God that lives inside of every one of us as believers. Every one of us, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to follow the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to obtain the promises of the Lord, we've got to follow the ark. Don't get ahead of God. Don't go in another direction. Follow his leading. Secondly, consecrate yourselves. Joshua 3, 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You know what consecration is? Separating oneself. Separating oneself from things that are unclean, especially anything that would contaminate one's relationship with God. The connotation is sanctification, holiness, purity. Understand this. God is the one that makes us holy, but you and I have a responsibility and steps that we can take to separate ourselves from those things that we know are not in God's word. Those things that we know, it's, it's getting yourself right with God. Getting yourself right with God. Getting yourself separated unto the Lord. Taking time to fast and to pray. Taking time to review and do a spiritual inventory and dedicate yourself in an act of surrender to the Lord. You see, we focus on actions, but this isn't about actions. This is a heart issue. What, what, Moses, what Joshua was telling the people is get your heart right. We're going to follow the presence of the Lord, but you need to get your heart right. You need to get your heart right. You need to make sure that your heart is right. You need to make sure that you're surrendered and dedicated. You need to make sure that you haven't picked up any of these things that we have in the world and are, are operating in those things. It is time to consecrate yourself. Romans 12, 1 to, 1 to 2 talks about being consecrated as a critical part of our, our relationship with the world. Paul says, our relationship with God and to those in the world. Paul tells us this, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, get separated. Separation, separation, separation. What area of your life do you need to consecrate? What area of your life are you not separated and surrendered unto God? And thirdly is this, step in the river. Joshua 3.8 tells the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. See, the Jordan was at flood stage. And the Jordan marked, that was that demarcation line between the promised land on the other side and them standing on, on their side in the wilderness. The difference between the wilderness and the promised land was this river, the Jordan River. And he says, listen, listen, we got to cross it. Well, it's at flood stage. How are we going to cross it? I don't know, but go, go, go step in the river. Go step in the river. Go step in the river. And what happened when they stepped in the river? What happened to the Jordan River? Just like what happened to the Red Sea, the waters parted and they were able to walk through, but they had to step in first. There are some of you, you just keep waiting for the waters to part. You just keep seeing the obstacles, waiting for the waters to part. And God's saying, I've told you to take a step of obedience, to take a step of faith. Why aren't you taking a step of faith? Take a step of faith. I might get my feet wet. Get you, take a step of faith. Take a step of faith. What's the step of faith? What is God, what is your step of faith? What is stepping in the river? But I don't know how it's all going to work out. You don't need to know how it's all going to work out. If God's presence is with you, step in the river. If God's presence is with you, step in the river. If you're following the ark and he tells you to step in the river, step in the river. That's when you see the miracles. Step in the river. What are you willing to do? What steps do you need to take? For some of you, that step of faith is finally just to surrender your life to God. 
You've been playing around with religion for too long, and it's time to give your life to Christ. It's time to finally surrender your life to Jesus. To quit playing church and quit playing around and quit playing back and forth between Egypt and wanting the promises of God. Oh, I'm going to go back to Egypt. I want the promises of God. I'm going to go back to Egypt. I want the promises of God. You're in the wilderness. Your step of faith is to say, Jesus, I need to fully surrender my life to you. But I don't have it all figured out, and I don't know where it all goes, and I don't know how it all goes. You don't need to know. You just need to take a step of faith. It's time to take a step of faith. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped in the fiery furnace before they saw the deliverance and protection that the Lord would bring. David had to take a step toward the giant, gather the stones, but take a step toward the giant before he saw the giant fall. Right? Oh, how about this one? The disciples had to obey Jesus by spending 10 days praying in the upper room before they received the promised Holy Spirit that was poured out. Man, God may be leading you, and you don't know how it's all going to work out. In fact, in front of you looks like flood stage. And God is saying, step in the river. Step in the river. Step in the river. See, if they would have not stepped in the river, they'd have never seen the walls of Jericho fall. Because that step in the river was the first step towards the steps they would take for seven days around the wall of Jericho and see their first victory. They wouldn't take the steps around Jericho until they took the step in the river. And there are battles that you are going to face on the other side, obtaining the promises of God. But unless you learn how to step in the river and see the power of God, you will never have the faith to be able to see the walls come down on the other side. Those steps were precursor to these steps. This step in the river was a precursor to every step they would march in obtaining the promise and obtaining the conquest and obtaining the power of God and the promises of God. You never know what a step will do and what will open up. It doesn't mean every battle is gone, but it means you got to take a step because that step's going to lead you to another step. It's going to lead you to another step. It's going to lead you to another step. So what step do you need to take? What step do you need to take? Joshua 3 and 4, the waters parted, they cross over, and, and, and there they, they, they do the circumcision. I can't go into all that, I don't have time. But Joshua 5, 9 says this, this is the result of their obedience. The Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. See, Gilgal was a new beginning. Gilgal began the, to, to be the place that they would move out into every battle they would fight. They would come back to Gilgal. They would move out, and they would come back. They would move out, and that became the beachhead. That became the place in which God would bring them the victory. But he said to them, listen, Gilgal means wheel, means circle. I have rolled away the reproach, and there are some of you in your past, some of you that have been bound, some of you with, a, with that. That's your identity, and God says, listen, I want to roll the reproach of that old identity away. I want to roll it away. He said to them today, because you took this step of faith, because you took this step of obedience, because you followed the ark, because you separated, consecrated yourself, because you took these steps. Listen, these steps today, I have rolled away the reproach. Some of you, that's you. You need the reproach rolled away. Egypt represented their past, it represented their, their slavery, it represented what kept them in bondage, what kept them bound. And God said, I'm rolling it away. I'm rolling it away. So friends, what is it today? What step do you need to take today? What battle, what obstacle do you need to head head on? Are you a grumbler? Are you a complainer? Do you struggle? Do you struggle to trust God? Is there fear? 
Is there fear? Is there a propensity of impatience to always want to go back? What is in your heart? And what do you need to separate from today? Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.